0: Well, many of you know that it's been about 18 months that, uh, since my dad passed away, and uh, while I still have some moments that I choke up in talking about my dad, now I'm kind of to the place where most of my memories of my dad are just good ones, you know? They're good memories where uh, I, I simply just love thinking about my dad. And uh, one of the memories that come, comes to mind for me when I think about my dad is, uh, um, oh, probably about five years before he died. When it became obvious that my dad was still uh, beginning to get some form of dementia, uh, it became pretty necessary for me to start taking over my mom and dad's, the recording of their finances and helping them in that area. And uh, my dad was a CPA. So you need to understand that the recording of the finances (laughs) for my dad was very important. He just couldn't get it quite right anymore, and he labored over it for days. I'm kidding you. I'm not kidding you. Days on days and days. So when I would help him, he sat me down, and he he would just talk me through the process, and he was meticulous. He'd try to show me how a computer worked, which was really funny. to see a 70-year-old man teaching his son how a computer works, but he showed me how a computer worked, and and he walked through this whole process with me, and he was just very meticulous that I do everything just the way he wanted done. And so I, I complied, I said, sure, dad, and we walked through it. And, and then, uh, at, you know, at, month after month after month, we were doing this. And finally, when he said, okay, Dave, I'm, let you, I'm ready to let did you just have this now, he would remind me about 14 times of the exact same thing, exact same directions, because he needed to make sure that I understood that I had to get this right. He was entrusting me with something very special. And so in, so many, in, in not so many words, he was saying to me, Dave, I'm entrusting you with a great responsibility. This is really important. Do it right. In a way, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is telling the elders at the Church of Ephesus before he leaves for the last time. He's he's preparing to leave. He knows that he'll never return. And he's crying out in that same sort of way: listen, I'm entrusting you with something that's really, 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 really important. I've showed you how to do this. I've taught you about this. Now do it. Do it right. And no matter what, Paul tells them, as he's entrusting them with his great responsibility, no matter what, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit. No matter what. To accomplish the work of the kingdom of God, we have to live like Jesus. Don't quit. To follow, to be entrusted with the work, we have to live like Jesus, and we can't quit. So we're in Acts, and we're in the third section of Acts. Of course, I remind you all the time, Acts chapter 1, 8, as it runs off the page, I guess we... Who knows, right? We just blessed the computer. There you go. Okay, so uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in three areas Jerusalem, then the second section of Acts is Judea and Samaria, and the third section is to the ends of the earth. We talk about this every week. Paul is currently on his third missionary journey. It's called the third because it follows up the first and the second. He's on this third missionary journey, and you can sort of see on the map here uh, where Paul was heading. Off the map on the right is Jerusalem, it's somewhere over. On the wall there, and uh, and and then Paul went across modern day Turkey, and he spent time in Ephesus. Um, Last week, the circle is about where Paul spent about a week in the city of Troas, and in Troas it was it was important. This is where uh, Eutychus fell asleep in church and fell out the window. You remember this story? And uh, I had a lot of good falling asleep in church stories last week. If you missed it, you may have been sleeping and that's okay. But uh, anyway, Eutychus fell to his death and Paul throws himself on him. And of course, Eutychus comes to life and the church is greatly encouraged. And after a week of Troas, Paul sails. uh, And that's what verses uh, really the verses 13 to 16 are about is Paul making his way down back to Jerusalem and and the ship would sail in and out of different ports on the way. And one of the uh, ports it stops in is the port of Miletus was um, about a day's journey from Ephesus. It functioned kind of, in many ways, as a port city for the town of Ephesus. And if you remember, Paul had spent two years, two to three years in Ephesus. So he spent time with these people, and he loved these people dearly. And on his, Paul is in such a hurry to get to Jerusalem that he doesn't want to go into Ephesus because he knows he'll get stuck there. And so he goes to Miletus, and he calls for the elders of the church to come to him. So the elders from Ephesus travel down to Miletus, and they spend a few hours together before Paul ships off again. And here Paul gives him his final instructions. He's entrusting this message to them. And the message that Paul is saying again, in summary, is follow Jesus, live like Jesus, and don't quit. You know, at Waukee Community Church, we talk all the time about we're bringing people together to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to give like Jesus. And if I was going to grab one of those phrases today that this message is about, it'd be the live like Jesus banner. When you walk in, you see them, live, live, love, give. This is about the live section. How do we live like Jesus? How do we follow Jesus? Because there's a really important need that we all have here, and that's simply to realize the importance of following. It's really important to follow Jesus. Now, you might say, Dave, duh, I got that. Well, not really, because in our culture, following is underrated. Everyone in our culture wants to be a leader. All the books out there tell us how to be leaders. And I've said it many, many times, and I remind you again this morning, that following Jesus is more about following than it is leading. We need to learn to follow. Before you can lead, you have to learn to follow. And this is true in anything. Let's say you're at work and you'd like to climb the ladder at work. You'd like to become in a position of leadership at work. And so what do you do? Do You just jump right in and go, hey, I don't have any reason for you to think this, but I would be an awesome leader. You should make me leader. No, you first learn how to lead. You might buy some books on leadership. You might find even, most people find one person, one person, one leader they really resonate with and they start to read from that. They start to read journals and they start to read articles and books and learn his or her style of leadership if you want to advance in leadership. And there are many people who would say out there, you know, maybe not like this, but they could say, I'm a disciple of, and name the leadership guru. Before you can lead, you need to learn to follow and most of us learn We find a leader out there, we admire his or her style, and we follow it so we can learn to lead. Before you can learn to lead with Jesus, you need to learn to follow him because he's entrusted us with a message. We have to do this his way. To accomplish the work of the kingdom of God, we need to follow. And we do this by living like Jesus and not quitting. So this message today, I have really two things I want to say to you from the text here. And I think that Paul, that Luke, as he wrote this down about the life of Paul, is screaming at us. And the first thing is, to live like Jesus, we first must follow his example. We first must follow the example that's laid out for us. Now, it's not necessarily just the example of Jesus, but it's also examples of others who have followed Jesus. Sometimes we need to watch someone else before we can do something. Um, some of you are the first. Like, you like to be the first. Like, like If something out there is, is new and bold and courageous, you're going to do it. You know, you're the early adopters of technology. If a new fancy gadget comes out, you're the first to go get it because you're going to learn about it. If there, there's an incredible feat that needs to be done, you're the first one. Uh, that's probably not me. I'm somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, for instance... The uh, first time I ever went zip lining, uh, it was a cool experience. I had my helmet, I had all the equipment. I listened to the stuff. We got to the first zip line. There was like eight of them in this chain of of, of zips that we were going to run and and, uh, and I got on and he, the instructor was there, and he yelled to was about twelve of us in the group he said okay who 's first and uh ooh. I'd kind of like to see someone else do that first, you know? Like, I don't want to make a fool of myself. I don't want to plummet to my death. Just some simple things like that. And so I want, you know, not, it's kind of like I'll take a step back. Now, some of you are, you would be like, put me on, hook me in, I'm going first. But most of us like to see someone else do it first. Um, The good news about following Jesus is that there have been plenty of people who have done this before us that we can see them and see how they've done it. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's a simple formula, if you call it a formula. Paul followed the example of Christ. Let's learn from Paul, if we follow what Paul did, we're going to be following what Jesus did. We follow the example of someone who is more mature than us, who is farther out in front of us. Now, Paul modeled this example of what it meant to live like Jesus. In Acts chapter 20, he talks about this. Verse 18, he says to the elders of Ephesus, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. You know how I lived. Paul was very aware that we live like like Jesus by doing life together. The whole time I was with you. Did you hear that? What Paul, Paul did not come into Ephesus, set up shop in a tall tower and just preach and then go back to his room. Paul lived amongst the people. They watched how he lived out his faith. The temptation for us sometimes is to hole up, isn't it? Like Life is hard, and stuff starts coming at us, and we just get bombarded by stuff, and we just want to be safe and secure in our own little safe place, and so the temptation is to withdraw and to hide, but Paul didn't do this. Paul said, I'm going to put myself in your midst, even when it's painful, you're going to see how I lived. If we want to live like Jesus, we have to do life together with other people who are living like Jesus. We also live like Jesus, by, and we follow his example, by loving each other with affection. We love each other. Look at the, verse 19. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. I, these tears are tears of hardship because he was severely tested, but they're also tears of love and great affection. Paul deeply loved these people, and and that caused him to to put up with a lot of suffering. At the first sign of suffering, I would have probably just been, I'm out of here. But Paul loved them deeply, and he put up with it for the sake of the gospel. And he showed them that hardships are simply a part of the Christian life. We can't forget this. Paul showed this by example, by the way he lived. The third thing we see in here is to live like Jesus by teaching the gospel. So we follow the example simply by doing life together and loving each other, but also by speaking and teaching the gospel. This is gospel-oriented living. Look at the text here again. You know, I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared both to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. What is Paul doing? Paul is talking and teaching about the gospel. This good news... We can, we, we can never talk about this gospel enough. But as Peter was singing Amazing Grace this morning, w- my heart was just resounding with the fact of the gospel. That I am a miserable, rotten, wretched sinner who deserves nothing. Yet by God's amazing grace, he came to me. When I refused to go to him, he came to me. The gospel that that Jesus, God Almighty, died for me and then broke the back of sin and death by rising from the dead, the gospel of this kingdom of God, that we get to be part of this? We can never stop talking about the gospel. It should be on our lips. We should be talking about it in conversations. We should always be engaged with the gospel. The grace of God speaks into every situation in your life. There's not a situation that you come to that you can't claim and call upon the grace of God. Let us never forget the gospel. We live and follow the example of Paul and Jesus and others by teaching and proclaiming and discussing and talking about the gospel. That the gospel pours through us. That's the example Paul set. We become like Jesus by following the example. The, the last way we follow the example is by finishing what we started. Acts 20 24. I, I consider. My life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. If you remember way back earlier in Acts, when Paul is on the road to Damascus, when he's persecuting Christians, when he's out there trying to kill and jail Christians, Jesus meets him. Remember the light shines down. And do you remember the mission that he's given? He is given a mission there to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, I believe as you study Paul's letters that what Paul has in mind here is that the extent of his his mission to the, preach the gospel to the Gentiles is not just in Turkey and Greece. That's where he's reached so far. But he also has in mind to go to the capital of the Roman Empire, Rome, to proclaim the gospel there. And you see, in his, even to go beyond that to Spain, which was like, barbaric outlander territory back then you know and uh, he wants to even go to spain maybe he says I, but i'm going to rome i think that's what he's talking about here is that he knows he has to go to rome to complete the task that god has given him now it's really interesting as we think about paul and his desire to finish the goal that, paul, that god has set out for him look what's in his way look at verse 22 I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know, watch the two things that have happened. So first of all, the Holy Spirit tells him, I want you to go to Jerusalem. The second thing he says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What? At least that doesn't make sense. The Holy Spirit says, by the way, go to Jerusalem. And by the way, when you're there, hardships and prison are facing you. What? Like that is, who, who would sign up for that? And he went, oh, yeah, yes, God, you want me to walk right into jail. That sounds awesome. It doesn't even make sense. But Paul understands that he has to finish what he started. The gospel is worth it. It isn't easy, but it's worth it. And all signs point to the fact that it will become increasingly difficult to be a Christian in our culture. But the gospel is worth it. If the Holy Spirit could speak to each one of us today, he would say, uh... The, the ease or the, the culture of America as a Christian culture where people just basically understood the tenets of the Christian faith are gone, Christians will, it appears, become a minority. Christians will increasingly be persecuted if they say, there's only one way to the Father, and that's Jesus. Christians will increasingly find it difficult. Does that mean we should just quit? No, we finish what's set out in front of us. The Holy Spirit says go, and by the way, hardships and difficulty might face be in front of you, but it's okay. The gospel's worth it. Paul keeps his eye on the finish line. He wants to reach Rome and he's heading there. Even if hardships and persecution are in front of him. You know, we're such a distracted people, aren't we? Like um we set out goals all the time and you know like three weeks later oh yeah that was a nice goal I I mentioned this because it's the end of March and surely by now all of your New Year's resolutions are gone right they're just like set to the side and we got it you know uh, so that you probably have a treadmill somewhere in your house that is now a clothes hanger you know what I'm talking about like you, you guys have some of those things uh, you might have gym memberships you don't use or diet plans you subscribe to that you're no longer doing and and we I mean We're just such a distracted people. We start something and then it's like squirrel and we're on to something else. You know, uh, what Paul is telling us here and now is that as Christians, we should finish the race. We should finish what we started. We keep our eyes on other people who have done this in front of us. And we watch how they live as Christians and we follow their example. Um, Back when I was a teenager... um, I remember there was a certain family that in our church that I just very much respected. I respected how they raised their kids. They had two little kids at the time. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting uh, about this family is that I noticed that, that the dad in particular, um, but both mom and dad, they refused to ever yell at their kids. They just never did it. Um, now, uh, I thought, that's pretty cool. Like, I don't want to be that guy in public that's screaming at my kids, you know. And, and I don't want to not... And so I, I just kind of watched this dad with his two little kids, and I thought, "You know, someday when I have kids, I want to do it like he did." And what he would do is when his little kids were misbehaving in public, um, he would speak to them what they were supposed to do without yelling, and then if they didn't obey, he would pull them in, and all I knew he was whisper was that he was whispering in their ear. <laughs> And he was saying something, and you could see the look on that little boy's face that he knew that something bad might happen if he doesn't uh, change his behavior. And I always just thought that was the coolest thing. And so uh, following the example later when I had kids, I always tried to do that with my kids. I always tried to pull them in, and rather than just screaming at them in public and humiliating them, I tried to pull them in and say, I don't want to humiliate you, but I have a very stern warning for you. And, in fact, my kids later on would occasionally tell me that they hated that because my breath was too hot in their ear, you know? Like, stop it, you're breathing on me, that's uncomfortable. But I, I just, I saw the way that another man, a godly man, raises his kids, and I, like, I just tried to follow his example. Um, you know, one of the things that I've told you about many times is that in the early 90s, my mom had cancer, and uh, she had a form of cancer where she had to go under, undergo chemotherapy and radiation. And, uh, and it took a lot out of her. And I just remember as a 17-year-old kid coming down in the morning, getting ready to go off to school uh, for an early band thing. And there was my mom, up earlier than I was, at her table with her Bible open and, and her, her rag on her head and pouring over the Psalms, finding comfort in the Psalms. And it just set an example for me of how important the Word of God is. When times are tough, we should turn to the Word of God. There's an example. You see, when we live like Jesus, we don't quit. And that's what Paul is saying in the text here. He's telling the Ephesian elders, he's saying, you know how I lived. You saw my example. Do it like I did it. And you'll follow Jesus. This is what it means. And oh, we need to find someone in our life We need to look at people and different people and say, I want to follow the example of her or I want to follow the example of him. I want to do it that way because that looks like Jesus. And we need to follow that example. There's another way to live like Jesus and to follow. If the one way is to follow an example, the, the second way is simply to follow the instructions. We follow two kinds of instructions. One, the instructions of our Savior that are written in Scripture for us. And we follow the instructions of those who are in spiritual authority over us. These are really important examples that Paul has set for us here. And so Paul talks a little bit about these instructions. Paul has these elders with him, and he's done some, he's doing some final instructions here. Look at verse 27. Um, He says this um, in the text as we turn to the he talks about the whole will of God. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you. The whole will of God. Paul has poured over the scriptures. He's taught them. He lived with them for three years. He's poured out this teaching and instruction to them. And now he wants them to listen to it. He wants them to listen to this. Paul is not afraid to speak instructions on how they are to live. Instructions are really important. Have you ever bought one of these pieces of furniture or toys that says some assembly required? Have you ever seen these things, you know? And uh, I I mean, there are multiple occasions like, oh, some assembly, yeah, no problem, I got this. And you open up the box and like 4,000 pieces fall out of the box. And then there's this instruction booklet that uh, is about the size of this right here, and and it's usually in Chinese, and I I don't speak Mandarin, so I don't know. Uh, I don't even know if it's Mandarin, but uh, back in the backside, there's somebody there that has translated that kind of for me. But what I have discovered is that I can dive into this thing and go, oh, I can kind of figure it out, but how much better, how much better if I actually take the time to read the instructions before We start. You know, it's not a lot different with Scripture, with the the following of Jesus. We follow Jesus by watching an example, but also heeding instructions. To live like Jesus, you don't just observe other Christians. You don't just observe. You follow. You listen. You follow the instructions. Um, Imagine that you had a personal financial counselor. You went out and you said, My finances are wreck. I need somebody to help me. And you found a personal financial counselor, and she's going to talk you through what it means to, to, to how to fix your situation. And so you don't just watch what she does. I mean, she might have a calculator there or a computer and be working. You know, oh, yeah, like that's a great look, a, a personal fine to get. A personal financial ca- uh, counselor uses a computer. So clearly, if I just got a computer, then my finances would be in order because I'm following. I mean, like, that hand can go really fast on that thing. I and mean, that's amazing. And if I just did that, then my finances would be in order. No, 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 no. There might be an importance for a computer in the process, but you listen to what she tells you. You heed the instructions. And here Paul is eager to give instructions. So we must listen to him. And he highlights really two pieces of instructions. He talked a lot more than this, I'm sure, in three years. But as he's leaving them and never seeing them again, here's the two things he wants them to know. First of all, he says, follow my instructions to keep watch. Follow my instructions by keeping watch. Look at verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Do this by being shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Um, This is really important. To the elders, he wants them to know to be shepherds. A shepherd's job is simply to watch out for the sheep. If you think about this metaphor of, of of, of a shepherd being out in the field, what is a shepherd's job? His job is to make sure the sheep are safe. Wolves will come and they would pick off the sheep, even maybe one by one. A shepherd has to be alert and make sure the sheep don't get picked off. Paul tells the Ephesians that false teachers will come in, some even from their own midst, he says. He calls them wolves. A shepherd has to be alert. You guys, every single... This isn't a message just to elders. This is really for everyone. We all have to keep alert. We have to. Don't get lazy. To all of us, be ready. Look back at verse 26. Paul said, therefore, I declare today I'm innocent of the blood of all men. What is he talking about there? Why is he innocent? Well, again, it's with his charge. Paul has had the charge like a watchman on a wall in in the ancient times. A watchman on the wall's job was to declare when the enemy was coming. Paul's job is as a watchman on the wall declaring the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is I've done it. I've done my job. I've warned you. Paul is like this watchman. He's kept watch over the flock, and now he's passing that on. You all keep watch. Keep watch of right doctrine. Um, This is so important. Um, You know, it's interesting. I read a statistic, church trend statistic, that in the future of church in America, that denominations will probably become fewer, and they're already of very little importance right now, it seems like, in most people's thinking. You know, it used to be like when someone moved to a new town, they might look for an evangelical free church. I'm an evangelical free church person. I agree with the doctrine of the free church. I'm going to find another evangelical free church when I move. People don't care anymore because doctrine is becoming less and less important. That's one of the reasons for that. Now, one of the things I love about the EFCA is that as a denomination, it's been our job to major on the majors. So we said, that these, uh, these things in our doctrinal statement are the essentials. There's a lot of stuff that's gray that we're not even going to talk about. These are the essentials. Uh, what I think is really in, in, the trend here is that people care less and less about doctrine. But doctrine is so important. Because if we don't ke- aren't keenly aware of what we believe that the Holy Scripture says, then it's easy to get picked off by a wolf to get picked off by a false teacher. What, uh, the other thing that we need to keep aware of is we need to keep aware of our right affection. Keep watch that our hearts are in the right place. See, it's not just enough to protect the teaching of the church. The elders are called to love the people of the church. And so we must love each other. Verse 28, he reminds us that this is the church of God, which he bought with his own blood jesus has deep affection for the church and so should we people are so flippant about church they're so just eh, whatever and by church you understand i don't mean this 10 o'clock meeting or this building uh but i mean just flippant about church in general about being the church about it's just sort of something we just kind of tuck into our lives Somewhere if it's convenient and it fits. But you need to and, and if somebody makes us mad, we'll just, you know, whatever. This church, the church, this was bought by the blood. Do you think when we treat the church flippantly, what we do is we say, Oh, Jesus, your blood wasn't that important. This the affection that Christ has for his church is deep enough. Where, where he poured out his blood for the church. It's, so it's not just about keeping right doctrine, it's about keeping a right affection. It's what's really fascinating. Paul is teaching the elders of the church of Ephesus here. Now, we look forward some years into the future, and in the book of Revelation, there's a letter to this very church. And what John in the, in the Revelation says to the church at Ephesus, he says, I... Uh, Okay, here's what you got right. He says, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. So this is the right doctrine piece. They did it. They kept watch over the right doctrine. They identified people who were false teachers. They got it right. But here's what they got wrong. Listen, but I have this against you. You have lost your first love. You see, they listened to Paul. They, got, they kept watch over the doctrine, but they lost the affection. We can never forget that that Jesus died for the people of this world and he loves them deeply. He died for this church and he loves this church deeply. We need to have the same kind of affection. There are all kinds of false teachers in this world, so we need to keep our doctrine right and our affection right. You guys, uh, all around us in our culture, there's false teaching and the Oprahs of the world are only going to get more influential. You know, I mean, these kind of false teachers in the world are going to get more... All you have to do is listen to other Christians, and you'll see this false teaching start to fade in to our church, to the church, to Christians everywhere. Listen, all you got to do is talk to someone, and if you ever hear someone quote the phrase, God won't give me more than I can handle, you know they've been influenced by false teachers. Because it's not true. It's not in the Bible. What is true? What is true is that God won't give you more than He can handle. And that is a huge difference. One is self-reliant. The other is God-reliant. We say these things and we don't even know. Some will say things like, uh, um, well, if I do enough good things in this world, God will do something good for me. That's just karma. That's just a Christianized karma right out of the Eastern religion. And it's a lie. This kind of false teaching indoctrinates Christians in America everywhere. Everywhere. It's just not right. We have to keep our eyes open. We have to keep watch. Now, the second thing, the second instruction that Paul's going to give here is not as overt as keep watch, but it's in the text. We, keep, uh, we follow instructions by keeping on. We follow the instructions by keeping on. Look at verse 32. Now I commit to you to God and to the word of his grace, which you can build, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. What Paul is talking about here is saying, keep on by keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping your eyes on the inheritance. I love this phrase. Amongst all those who are sanctified. Oh, this is such a great word, sanctification. Listen, most Christians are like, oh, I can't wait till I get to heaven someday because it won't be so hard and I can stop trying to you know, having to work so hard to be like Jesus, and it'll just all be, it'll be well. But the process of sanctification starts now. We ought to be becoming more like Jesus. And the thing that frustrates me is so many Christians have got to the place where they're like, I've been a Christian for a long time, and this is hard, and I'm probably as far as I'm going to get. No. We should continually be sanct. The word sanctification means being made Holy. We should become more and more like Jesus all of the time. There's an inheritance for those who follow Jesus, who are sanctified, the text says. Let's keep our eyes on it. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and not quit. Let's not stall out. Let's keep being transformed. Let's keep on. So don't quit because there's a reward. And don't get distracted either. Look at verse 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul stops and says, listen, by the way, I'm pursuing the real inheritance and I've not gotten distracted by the things of this world. Now, this is not stop talking about money, um, but rather this, this is what this is about. is about working hard. Why? Well, because we have to keep on. Look at 35. In everything I showed you that by this kind of hard work, Paul is determined to work hard now, not to just go into coast mode. Why is he working hard? Because he understands that Christians are supposed to be part of a kingdom work now. We're not just on coast till Jesus comes back. Because look what the text says again. By this hard work, verse 35, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive this is kingdom upside down stuff this is the stuff that doesn't make sense to our world and that when we follow jesus everything flips upside down because we have to keep on paul final words stress something that's really hard we have to help the weak because the gospel is working for the kingdom of god and this is where the kingdom really starts to happen when we don't quit and this is the very instructions of our lord it's more blessed to give than to receive phrase has been reverberating in my head all week it's more blessed to give than to receive because i don't know if i really believe it i want to believe it but i don't know if i really believe it do i really really believe that it's better to give myself away than to receive because i kind of like receiving some people tell me I have the spiritual gift of receiving. No, no one's ever said that, sorry. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like people have the spiritual gift of giving. I like to receive. But it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like this is the instruction of the gospel of this kingdom, of upside down living where everything is backwards. If you are indistinguishable from the people of this culture, something is wrong because the gospel of Jesus taught that backwards It's important. That upside down is good. The difference is the way of the kingdom. You guys, most of us Christians just don't even want to think like this. If life's not hard, if you're not pushing against the grain at somewhere in your life, then you're not following the kingdom upside down call of Jesus who says things like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is hard. Don't quit. Follow the teachings of our Lord. Don't back down. It's going to be different and hard. This is the instruction of Paul. Before he says goodbye to these Christians, before he says, I'm out of here, I'll never see you again, he says this. He says, don't give up. Keep on. He says, keep watch. And he says, follow my example as I followed the example of Christ." Live like Jesus, and above all, don't quit. And this is what has been entrusted to you and me. It's been entrusted to us. This is an example. Follow the example and the instruction, because this kingdom work has been entrusted to has been entrusted to us. So um, this week, as I close, I. Uh, I want to tell you about the Pony Express because I was reading about the Pony Express this week. Uh, you know, it's a, a really we hear about the Pony Express and we see Wells Fargo on the stagecoach and think that's all cool and whatnot. But the Pony Express was a, a revolutionary idea. You need to understand in the 1800s before there was any, there, I mean, there was no FedEx, right? Like if you wanted to get stuff across country, it had to be done the old-fashioned way. And the old-fashioned way was by horse and carriage. And it could take months to get something from the Midwest way out to California. You need to understand the gold rush, the the population of California had boomed to 350,000. And this was on the way edge of society. It was way out there. And so uh, three guys came up with an idea that they needed to be able to get something from the Midwest to California in 10 days. Now that sounds like, you know, we would be looking at our FedEx tracker going, 10 days? Come on, I only believe in next day shipping. But this was crazy, 10 days. And so they came up with this idea of a Pony Express. What they needed to do is ditch the wagon, because the wagon slowed them down, and they needed to be able to put a rider on a horse that could, and that horse could go at a full gallop all the way from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California. Now, we understand that a horse can't do that actually a horse can only go at a full gallop for about 10 miles so what they did is they bought over 400 horses and they set up 157 stations between St. Joseph Missouri and Sacramento California and what a rider would do is he was restricted the instructions to a rider were very clear riders rode about 75 to 100 miles a day but they only rode one horse 10 miles Every 10 miles, they'd stop at a station, they'd switch horses, and then they would go at a full gallop another 10 miles. They were getting a package from St. Joseph, Missouri to California in 10 days, and people said it couldn't be done. But they did it, and this is how they did it. Now, the instructions were very clear for riders. This is really interesting. Um, A rider of a horse couldn't weigh more than 125 pounds. The total weight on the horse couldn't be more than 165 pounds. So no, he had a satchel, and he kept that satchel. That, um, that satchel was very, very important. It was up the most, uh, of the utmost importance. So the instructions were very clear. Uh, in fact, here's an ad for a Pony Express rider that was posted around the country. Wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over eighteen. They must be expert riders. Willing to risk death daily. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Most of us be like 125 pounds. I'm out, right? But uh, this was the, this was the draw. This was the ad. This is what, the, and they found guys who wanted to do this because the calling was high. Listen to what they said. They often said it was it was, it was taught to them, and they said it to each other. They often said, if if it came to be, the horse and the rider should perish before the satchel of cargo did. They got it. This was really important for our country, for the expansion of our country. This Pony Express was essential and important. So listen, what did they do? They had very clear instructions on how this thing was to go. And they followed the example. As these guys hung out, in these stations along the way, as they their hundred miles was over and they had to rest till the next day, they spent time together. They learned, they followed, they shared ideas. It's no different for us. We should ca- consider the gospel a satchel that is important. We should consider the kingdom work of the church is so important that horse and rider would perish before the cargo did. We should follow the example and we should heed the instruction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, coming to you now, we thank you of the importance of this message, the importance of the gospel, the importance of the kingdom work, the importance of this that you've given us and let us follow the examples of others and let us heed the instruction. Oh, let us not be flippant. We long to be the kinds of people who live out the kingdom in our lives every single day. So we ask that this message of the saving grace of Jesus would change our life. And we thank you that above all, we have a God who saves. That we have a God who would not stand idly by and do nothing. When we were helpless, he came to us. And this message that's entrusted to us, we celebrate today. We have a God who saves. In Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand as we close and worship together?